how do you use uh, tech to tell a human story? I think sometimes people put the cart before the horse and then their thing turns out to just be a tech demo. They make something that like looks crazy, but like doesn't move you. Uh, you have to have a good story, but then um, trying to actually uh, make something that is uh, new and unique is also part of it. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is filmmaker Kyle Vorbeck. In this episode, Kyle details his path as a filmmaker, a path that focuses intimately on the intersection of tech and film. Kyle also shares how he incorporates AI into his work, his thoughts on the future of AI and entertainment, and also shares more on his latest project, a comedic short, Somewhere in Between, starring Taylor Misiak and Ryan O'Flanagan, which recently screened at the Tribeca Film Festival. Let's dive in. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So, got a chance to look at some of your work, really cool stuff. Uh, is, you know, and we'll cover the gamut of it. But I'm just curious from the beginning, you know, did you always know that being a filmmaker was the path for you? Was was that out the gate? You know, hey, I want to do this because, I mean, you, you're a talented guy. Uh, when did it start? Um, I will tell you, uh, I wanted to be a video game designer when I was in high school. Mm. And that was before it was cool. Like right now, video games are like the biggest industry on the planet. When I was doing it uh, was when I was in high school, which was... Uh, like let's i don't want to date myself uh long ago <laughs> like if i said i made video games in high school to anyone in my high school i would have lost both of my friends um so <laughs> uh but that's what i wanted to do um and then one day i also made little dumb videos on the side with my friends and one day a girl i had a crush on came up to me and said hey i saw your video it was very funny and i was like well I guess I have to do this for the rest of my life. I will I will be chasing this high. <laughs> so then I was like, you know, I got into making things and putting myself in them because I've always been a bit of a goof. And then, um, you know, it I, for me, like in the same way that video games are so the art and the tech are so married to each other with me. So is filmmaking. So I always approach things like, you know, how can we use the latest thing to make something that was not possible five years ago? Hmm. Hmm. So it's it's being on the precipice of whatever emerging technology is there and then figuring out how to incorporate it into what is intrinsically part of your creative mind. Right. Like, uh, how do you use uh, tech to tell a human story? I think sometimes people put the cart before the horse and then their thing turns out to just be a tech demo. They make something that like looks crazy, but like doesn't move you. Uh, you have to have a good story, but then um, trying to actually uh, make something that is uh, new and unique is also part of it. I mean, like, you know, paint used to be like a brand new thing, like colored, certain colored paints have become part of the discourse of art itself. Because sure. if you look like a thousand years ago, they weren't able to like do like venti black or whatever that crazy one is. Um, <laughs> so like, I like I like James Cameron is like the, the best example of a guy who is like, oh, I want to make this thing, but it's not possible. I will figure out how. And I'm like the like the the very like the young trying to make it the, do something similar uh he's my boy is what i'm trying to say <laughs> got you got you got you and so do you think your predisposition or your early interest to video games was sort of what set you on that path to kind of find the merge between 
or the merger between film and tech and have that sort of at the epicenter of your creative output? Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, when you look at uh, like any of my stuff that I've made, I could point to every single thing I've made and been like, that is from a cutscene from this game, like Kingdom Hearts over there or Halo 3 over there. I remember what like, you know how everyone has that moment where your brain is like malleable and forming and soft. And then you see something that like unlocks like the 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 key the root key the root api key of your brain for me that was when halo 3 released and they on the bonus disc they had like hours of content about the making of halo 3 and i saw that and i was like oh my god like this is the i don't know what about it but just like seeing people playing on the computer in my head and then it turns into a video game i thought that was incredible and then um for me it was a thing of I also have a bit of vanity. So I was like, okay, can I apply the sitting on the computer element to something where my stupid face is in it? And then that's where the two kind of coincided. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, okay. And and when when coming up with ideas for story, was that also influenced by tech as well? Or does that come from a different place for you? So um, for the people listening, um, I just did a AI short film that was uh, about me using stable diffusion back when that was hot on the scene to fake my social media presence for a month and a half. And I got everyone on my social media to think I was leaving this or living this uh, incredible new life. I moved, I got a new apartment. I, you know, I, I had a cool <laughs> new car. I met celebrities and, um, but the story is about how I kind of go insane while trying to fake my life. And the two, it's it's kind of like, you know, Mr. Robot vibey of just like a dude descending into madness through his computer. And that one in particular, I knew I wanted to do something with the tech, right? This There's a way to make fake images and trick people right now. How fun. But the story I found was about how the how real life and our fake lives are often two diametrically opposite things. Hmm. And that was the human story in the middle of it. Um, so that one, I mean, like on all these things, I think I do approach it with the sense of, I here's an idea for a thing I have that has not been made. Like a thing, I honestly, the way I come about it is, I want to express something because I'm sad, is usually where things come from. <laughs> sure. uh, that one, I felt lonely. So I was like, I'm going to make a thing about loneliness. Uh, I just had a film play at Tribeca, and that one came from, I'm super anxious, and so is my writing partner. So, you know, it usually comes from there being, I feel this, someone else might feel it too. And then the next step is how can we extrapolate this as much as possible and uh, give it some sort of either make it possible through tech in a way that would otherwise be financially uh, unable, you would be unable to do so previously, or, oh, this is a brand new type of thing. Let's do that. In a lot of ways, it's both an expression, you're, you're taking what emotionally you, you're desiring to express, putting that with emerging tech, as you've mentioned, and figuring out how to use that to express something new. Right. I mean, I'm, I have so much respect for the people who are like, we only shoot on codec film and we do like everything practically or whatever. Um, and maybe I would too, if I had billions of dollars, but right now what tech is allowing people to do is it levels the playing field. Um, it allows people to not only it raises the floor 
for what you're able to do. Everyone, there's a higher baseline for what someone could do on a computer, but it also raises the ceiling if you're already an expert on these things. The entire, it's almost like the Overton window of quality gets raised into you're allowed to do better stuff easier. So for me, since I don't have billions of dollars on this Tribeca film, for example, we needed to make something that felt like a blockbuster film. That would not have been possible were I not able to leverage technology to help that happen. And what was what, what did you use to to make that happen? What what tech did you explore for this one that that previously, you know, maybe you had dabbled with, but for this one you were like, you know what, this makes the most sense for the type of story I'm trying to tell. Right. So you know, when you do a film, it feels like you're planning a heist because you have <laughs> You have three days or so to where everything coincides. All your planning happens on these three days, and whether you have something good or bad will be made there, usually, unless you save it in the edit. So when you're planning that, it for us, we almost essentially did like a, a virtual version of when they do the fake heist in uh, Ocean's Eleven, where I used AI to 3D scan in the entire place. Um, well, I didn't use AI. Actually, I, I, I used uh, back then we only had LIDAR scanning. Now you have better AI scanning. Um, two years ago, before this new technology existed. Wow. Uh, yeah, like that's how quick it changed. I now yeah. use, um, God, what's it called? There's a, like, there's a bunch of emerging AI ones for creating like photorealistic uh, scans that are really good now. At the time, I was using this app called Polycam on my phone. I 3D scanned the entire place in that we're going to be shooting and then brought that into Blender because Unreal Engine did not have Unreal Engine 5 out yet two years ago in the Stone Age. So I used Blender and then we were able to plan out every single shot we were going to get. And then I did use AI to synthesize voices on this previs. And I literally cut the movie before we even shot it and watched it and went, does it work before we went in? And there were certain things Whoa. where we were like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need this. But you're able to light the actual space with digital lights and actually frame it up with physically accurate cameras digitally in the space. So you can get something that's a good approximation of your final shot months before you even go in there. So we were able to watch the movie and go, oh, we don't need this shot. Save the time. Moving on. So we shot 17 pages in just three days because we went in there like, you know, heat, like we knew what we were doing, you know? Sure. And, and, and did you, when you, when you say you shot it, essentially you watched the movie before you shot it, was that, did you have the, the, the cast as part of the sort of the call it the, the, I don't even want to call it a rough cut, but the, the preview of what you would be shooting when you were able to see and, and see you know, they're called the R and D, uh, cut. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, 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 were you able, did you use the actual cast for that? Were there state, like, how did all that function we had, to, we had 3d, uh, scans of one of our actors. Um, yeah. and, uh, we had, but primarily it was, um, my writing partner, co-producer, a creative partner on this and my DP and I looked through everything and made sure that this was the film that we wanted to make. But in planning this, we were, because it's an action comedy, what we were making, we were like, okay, these are the setups where, you know, these two shots, we will do a lot of improv here. Let's design this. So this part is a sandbox to play in. We can cut however way here and make up some stuff here. And then we could get out of there. So we kind of, 
established a few places for us to play on the day and then other more complicated things we were like okay this has to be shot this way this way and this way for it to actually scan what's really neat about you communicating this process is it's kind of similar to how how companies are using the metaverse to say roll out a some some companies might roll out a digital product that then if it's successful they might say it's a, a fashion item. They might put that then into a line in the real world. And what you're kind of saying here is, hey, we just we, we were able to kind of diagnose any potential, not all, because that's the beauty of filmmaking, but any potential problems along the way, any, any trim the fat by kind of seeing it before you do it. And that's a, that seems to be a novel way of looking through things i mean typically or or is it just the next evolution of going through a shooting script and and chopping what you don't need and you know moving on or is this sort of do you, do you view this as the next evolution in that process or is this something unique and specific to this film well i know i mean previs has been a thing that's been around for a million years um people planned it out people did storyboards of their stuff um marvel uh famously will that will uh actually send entire action sequences to previs houses and those are essentially directed by people at the previs house like a if i was directing a marvel movie they wouldn't be like hey kyle where where, where should iron man shoot his whatever uh it would essentially be like i do the dialogue and then this is what the action sequence is going to be so you know, just slap your name on it. Like there's kind of a weird thing going on there. What we do, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have the hand in the tech side as well, is that, um, you know, we're a small team and we're able to very much do this all ourselves. So we, it's the same core crew experimenting prior to the actual shooting day. I think that would be the main difference. It's not a bunch of other people. It's the same people as if we were actually there, but it's a lot cheaper because we're sitting on my couch. But, <laughs> sure. But I do think some people, you know, with filmmaking specifically, people are always going to be, you know, purists. It's a, you know, um, people like the, it comes from, you know, the theater side of people, the practical side of people want to do it the old fashioned way. And that's cool. And, um, you know, I think, hang on, my dog is scratching at my door right now. Coco. <laughs> no, she's in all my stuff. Uh, so um, <laughs> I do think that there is, I think what it allows people to do is it allows the people to break in easier potentially. And I think it also um, democratizes storytelling, all technology, because it's allowing people who might have had zero chance on like an old film camera or, or in a, you know, with like a, a studio setup or lights or whatever, people are allowed to kind of blend the technical space and the virtual or the virtual space and the practical space now and kind of, you know, hey, you know, you see like people like making incredible short films on YouTube and it's just like a guy with a camera now and half the people in it are him deep faked onto your different people deep faked onto his body and stuff like you could make your own film almost at this point and it's literally just you. Wow. We're getting close to that. You can synthesize entire voices. You could put other actors faces on your face. It's essentially, you know, you're all you can mocap, man. You could. I could go into my garage right now, right? And I can do mocap for a monster and then I can fight the monster or I can mocap a guy who fights the monster. You know what I mean? Like the, and that is so good looking now and that's only going to get better looking.
So, you know, there are people who want to do the improvised stuff, but like, hey, man, if you're like 16 years old and you have a story about a knight that fights a monster 20 years ago, good luck. Now it's like, you honestly might be able to make that pretty well. Right. 20 years ago, it might have been a diorama that you had to construct and that was the extent or or even, you know, ha have some, uh, unless you had access to a ridiculous budget and some awesome props and, uh, you know, <laughs> in an incredible stage, like to your point, uh, you, you probably weren't creating something that looked like, you know, what's a, what's a fantastic princess bride, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. And but, to your point, by the way, I just want to say, um, all these things right now are things that have existed for a while in some form, but what AI is doing is again being like it it makes every it's making a lot of things so much easier it's ridiculous yeah you can render like a whole environment but you know some things you can just have an ai do or you know it you know loosens up the whole thing so you know i think some people think ai is oh suddenly everything's possible no what it is is suddenly everything's easier hmm. and and that's a that's a good point because in we were talking earlier about chat gpt and, and other technological advances you could say and and there seems to be sort of some some faction of folks that that fear the tech might overtake jobs and stuff like that but i think largely what we're talking about in this conversation and just in general the tech's here to help not not replace because it doesn't work without the human element and yeah that's key right we're going to find that out the hard way as soon as they try to replace writers. I mean, like we've all messed with like chat GPT or something. And, you know, it's funny to like have it generate a script or something. Um, and it can probably it, it gets away with like generating stuff that no one has any passion for and doesn't require pathos or whatever. Um, but when it gets to the point where it's like it's not going to be writing a good TV show or a good feature film or a surprising twist or anything because it hasn't lived life and right. it can only imitate previous things so i think i think i don't think any writer worth their salt is trying to replace themselves with chat gpt but i think what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to be trying to there's always a war on writers what's the quote it's something like if we could just it's from like the producers or something it's like if we could just get rid of these uh directors and writers we're golden you know <laughs> um that's for some reason what everyone wants to do here uh, why don't we have AI, you know, figuring out how to clean the ozone or whatever, you know? Sure. Um, but first step, first on the chopping block, writers. Fuck them. Am I allowed to swear on this? Absolutely. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then, All right, then mic yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, you can't see me right now, listeners, but I just ran out of the room. <laughs> he, the, he, he, he went out on, on the F-bomb. Uh, so... Right. So, so it's not, it's not, it's, it, it, I think what we're really trying to say is that it's a compliment and that anybody kind of like what you were saying with your love with tech, it's, or love for tech, it's, it's something that helps the process. It's not something that replaces anything. If anything, it replaces habits or, or a slower way of doing a particular task, but the art itself still has to have the intangibles, a good story, compelling characters, the emotional p component, like all of that isn't, you can't, you can't fabricate it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's sort of, you know, what, uh, also that AI video I did was about in the sense of like, it cannot 
fulfill you <laughs> you know sure. uh, if you try to manufacture uh, a reality through this stuff uh you will be left it's like honestly touch grass is the moral of a lot of things <laughs> sure sure ha have you encountered with all this said have you encountered any difficulties by being call it tech positive you know because you enjoy advances in tech and you are a filmmaker and you enjoy the convergence of those two worlds have has it ever hindered your process has it ever made things more difficult even though on paper it was supposed to help no that's a good question yeah so if you are very tech positive you often get pigeonholed as a tech person and when you are an artist uh you you mentioned to me uh before we were recording how there is a viewpoint in the world of how tech can be viewed as art like good tech can be viewed that way I think some people see art as tech too, the whole tech demo thing I was saying to you. So for me, an experience I've had a lot of times is I will do a whole, you know, project that is like really like this AI thing I keep talking about that I made. I made that. And to me, I find that to be a very personal sort of story. I think the people who watch it, it's like there's a combination of humor and, uh, you know, almost, you know, cringing at what I'm doing and also we can relate by the end of it. And so I was very proud of that. What a lot of people see is, hey, look, this guy's good at mid journey. And that has hindered me a lot mm. in life where I have to actively be, you know, promoting myself and uh, separating. Yeah, this is a very interesting thing. But hey, look, I I wouldn't have been able to do this if I wasn't also an artist here. People right. like after that video, I got so many messages being like, hey, do you want to come into our company and, you know, make images? I'm like, no, like the whole thing was I want to go <laughs> make films that are good. I just happen to be this one happened to be AI. And I and I really do think there are possibilities to make really incredible new things with AI. But I'm not just trying to be, you know a guy at uh, at like an industry showcase being like, hey, look at this weird thing I made. I'm trying to still make films. I'm just empowered by this stuff. I think a lot of people have had similar experiences too. Sure, sure. So so the rub is more not not putting yourself in a tech box to the outside and really pushing the adoption of, hey, I happen to it doesn't matter what tools I use to create the product it's it's more the end product that you guys should be focusing on exactly it's the any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic thing <laughs> where your film you should be watching something and thinking this is a good movie you shouldn't be thinking about how it was made generally you know um when you're watching avatar the new avatar movie you should, in theory, be watching it thinking, wow, I really am involved in this world here. You shouldn't be picturing the guys in the mocap suits and all the 3D animation while you are living that experience. That is my belief. So, you know, uh, trying to separate those peas and carrots as much as I can moving forward to just make it as seamless as possible. Like with this um, with this uh, film I just had go to Tribeca, we have a short film. It's a time travel rom-com called Somewhere in Between. So that one, there is so much VFX going on in it, but the difficulty, anyone can do really obvious VFX um, 
And to make really obvious VFX look good is also its own skill. But a third skill is doing VFX and making it not obvious that it's even there. And I think most audiences in the world have seen movies where they think it's all practical. And there are so many VFX shots, it's ridiculous. Like the Dark Knight had like, I don't even want to estimate, like thousands of VFX shots, even though Nolan is Mr. Practical Boy. So <laughs> our film here that we had, the hard part was I didn't want this one to feel, I was coming off this AI thing and I was like, this one should just feel like a practical 80s sort of blockbuster where they had to shoot it on film. That was the whole goal. So the VFX process took an unbelievably long amount of time to actually do that. And I was using AI, of course, in the VFX. And there was a ton of like, you know, there's 3D modeling. There was, you know, a ton of like uh, uh, fluid simulations and stuff like all this high level stuff to make something that I'm hoping no one really questions. What's really interesting is filmmaking in general, whether it's TV, film, creating something, we've talked about it already, writers, directors, producers, cast, all that exists. So in many ways, it sounds like what you're saying too is the VFX or tech, the, the newer tech elements, if, if they're distracting, they'll pull people out and have you thinking about, oh, who created these? And at the same time though, you could have an overly written scene or you know, acting that might have been, you know, on a certain end of the spectrum that, that also pulls you out. So it, it, it kind of, I don't think necessarily tech, tech's just one other ingredient in that creative cauldron that could, if it's done well, keep people engaged. And if it's not, it, it has the same effect. Exactly. I think VFX artists in particular are because there's this kind of thing going on right now where everyone's like, oh, I don't like VFX. I only like practical. That's sort of like the dominating narrative, at least on film Twitter. Uh, and I think that VFX artists in particular are a group of those people who are just as valuable as a lighting guy or, you know, whatever sure. on set. But people tend to really just shit on their craft. If you watch Corridor Digital, they have this incredible show that they do where they break down famous scenes from movies and how they do the VFX in this. And it's such like a, they sometimes have the people who worked on the, these shots on, and sometimes they even have the people on when the shots are like famously bad, like the mummy, like that Dwayne Johnson <laughs> shot from the Scorpion King or whatever. And these things are worked on heavily. The amount of time that these VFX artists are working on these things is just as valuable and often way more than what's happening on set. The post you know, tail end on a lot of these things is so, so long. These are all valuable things. It's all in the same, you know, we're all just trying to tell a story with whatever tools that we are able to use. Do you think on that tip, do you think you'll continue to explore the incoming tech trends when it comes to your next projects? And is like, is this part of your filmmaking DNA or is is there an a cap for you where you know you might say all right hey i've i've amassed uh experience with with all of these new and emerging tech tools i think i have a good pulse uh kind of what you were saying before not trying to be boxed as a tech guy or or is it is it finding a way to continue to carve your niche and carve your lane and also happen to stay on track with with what's coming next 
I think for me, and I think this is common with a lot of people, is when you approach a film, you are looking at how do I tell this story? How do I even make this? Like I, you're sitting in some room in Los Angeles and you have this whole thing in your head and you have to figure out how do I shoot this many images per second and make this actually be a thing people could watch. So you're working backwards from there. So I usually am not approaching something being like, oh, I'm 100% going to use, you know, I want to do something with Unreal, blah, blah, blah. There's some idea in my head that I've had for 10 years or whatever. And then, you know, like for Unreal, you can you can mount tracking stuff on your camera and very quickly get accurate tracking data to bring into Unreal, have these crazy shots going on in Unreal. And then bring that, render that out and bring that into After Effects as a plate and key that into the background of something. Point being, you know, I had an idea I've been sitting on for like 10 years. I don't know if I'm ever going to do this, but I've been sitting on this idea for like 10 years. Then Unreal 5 comes out and I'm seeing this stuff and I go, oh, I could finally do that one as mm. opposed to, oh, mm. Unreal comes out. Man, I got to figure out how to use this thing for something. I think there's a lot of stuff on YouTube in particular where people are making things and I'm not, I don't want to cast stones here because they're doing a lot better than I am career wise. <laughs> but I do think that there are a lot of people on YouTube who do approach things that way. And I find myself bouncing off those pretty quickly where the entire purpose of a piece of content is to have made it with something as opposed to being empowered to make it with something. Got it. Got it. Got it. So in, in, in many ways, what you're saying is it is the tech will cer certain tech at certain times may come about, which will allow you to execute on an idea that either, you know, you've had for 10 years or something that you thought of recently. But it's more about asking yourself the question of how can I physically do this and then finding the answers as to what's available to you. Yes, exactly. Right on. And maybe talk a little bit about with your most recent film, Somewhere in Between, what went into that creatively and what sort of inspired the Ascension? And you mentioned it, it, it screened at Tribeca. What, what's that process been like? It's been a roller coaster, honestly. This film was kind of like the little engine that could. We, my writing partner and I, John Haran, we do uh, comedy and we, wanted to write a film like you'll see you'll add everything i've just talked I'll, I'll walk you through the process and you'll be like <laughs> oh that's that's what he means we wanted to write a film that was about anxiety and the especially the anxiety of when you have feelings for like your best friend or something telling them that feels like the end of the world mm. that is the scariest thing you can do so we were like okay how do we make it actually feel like like how do we realize those stakes as a dramatic device. So we couldn't figure it out. We, at one point we had like one that was like a detective thing. Finally, we got to what if it was literally the end of the world, right? And for those listening, the sort of setup is there are, you know, in Back to the Future, right? Uh, he has his parents, he goes back in time and says, you two need to fall in love or else the whole timeline gets thrown into chaos. Yeah. This is essentially a film from those parents' point of view. We have two friends who are staying in on New Year's and 
they are, you know, will they, won't they kind of thing. And then a guy from the future shows up and says, if you don't fall in love tonight, the entire universe will be destroyed. And that's like the first three minutes of the film. So it kind of goes from there. And then we wrote this. We, you know, looked at our inspirations, obviously Zemeckis, Back to the Future. Uh, we've been getting compared to Bill and Ted. And we try to figure out how to package that up, how to make this. And that includes building a time machine, all this stuff. But when we were writing the script, all we were thinking about was the story. We got to the end of the script and went, oh, shit, we have to make a time machine. How are we going to do this? And it was just like our heads were exploding then. But at the time we were like, oh, cool. Of course, there will be a photorealistic time machine they find as if you could just go to the store and buy one of those. After the writing process, we go into producing that bad boy. We had to build a time machine that was designed in Blender 3D CAD. You could do in Blender with you know, actual measurements and stuff. So we went to Home Depot having never used, you know, it's also technology, technically a buzz saw. So we had to figure <laughs> out how to physically sure. manufacture a time machine. And they don't teach you that in film school, you know, production design, I wish they did. We had to do, we built this whole thing. What's also technology. Honestly, we had to do electrical wiring on the inside of the thing. It's like the time travelers like interacting with practical panels and all this stuff inside of there, wiring that all up. When we get to the actual shooting time, that's where we started getting into the tech side because we were trying to figure out, okay, 17 page script. We have three days to shoot this. And there's essentially two action sequences, which like take an exorbitant amount of time for less shots, right? How do we actually go about making this? That's where we were planning it out ahead of time. Can we cut any of this? Is any of this even necessary? We found out, no, some of it doesn't even need to be in there. Action sequence stuff. Will this cut at all? How do we have to shoot it? Because we don't have time to be like, I think it looks good this way. We have to go, this is the framing. We have to go in. We have 10 minutes to get the shot. This is the exact framing for this thing. And we were also going in there with the knowledge of, hey, we could put a fog machine behind here for this smoke, <laughs> sure. but we don't have time to reset you know, for 10 minutes prior to every take here, we might need to just turn around and roll. So we go, okay, fog machine, put a little smoke in the air, or some hazer, but there's all these, like, there's a ton of like debris that gets involved. There's all this smoke and stuff. And that was, I used the 3D models of this set to then bring that into Blender and then run 3D simulations for, di you know, digital smoke, digital debris that's physically acting on the stuff that we already had. Stuff like that allowed us to save a ton of time on set and make the movie for a much smaller budget. You know, the amount of money it takes to keep everyone on set to do this stuff is way more than the amount of money it takes for me to sit at a computer for way too much time. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and are there, do you find that there's a benefit to one way or the other? Or like if, if all things considered, say money and time weren't factors, which obviously on most films they are uh would you have a pick over one or, or the other or is it just does it depend on the idea does it depend on what's needed is one would you say one's better or worse or is that even not is that not even the language you would want to use i think that 
there are people who are practical purists and they say everything needs to be real on set. I think that there are people who are like, we'll do it entirely in post, like George Lucas on the Star Wars prequels. I think that the real world that is the best is a combination because honestly, sometimes stuff in post looks cooler than it does in real life. Sometimes you want stylized and sometimes, you know, for safety reasons or whatever, if in the magical world where everything's free for some reason, you know, you'd want people to have something on set to actually react to and that grounds it in reality. And then this other post thing that's sort of a canvas that you can make, oh, that explosion is going to explode this exact way like this. Or the, you know, the environment will, you know, there's a the colors, there's all these things that you could paint with almost like, that is absolutely from zero uh, creative, as opposed to having to work backwards from actual footage. I think that allows, in this magical world, I think this allows more people to do their art. Hmm. I do think that, you know, as technology advances, uh, you know, let's say, you know, even now, the stuff that we're able to do is much more complicated than what we were able to do 30 years ago. Does that mean budgets have shrunk? No, we just keep thinking of more complicated stuff to do. And it just, you know, it, it, the ideas, the things that you could even accomplish are going to keep getting bigger and the where everyone's going to be pushing the boundary infinitely until we are completely in you know like in a in a world where you could just generate your thoughts in real time sure as your imagination like until that happens we will be pushing the boundary sure and so so really what we're it sounds like what we're talking about here are just tools in a toolbox you mentioned it with paint taking it back how certain colors weren't uh, able to be conceived at one point in time. Now it's it's just there's an array of tools you can choose to use them if they best fit your project, if they best fit your idea. You don't need to. There's no right or wrong. It's just what helps a person execute his or her their idea to the best of their ability. Yeah, I think that's the absolute best way to look at these things. Somewhere in between. What's the next step for that? You just screened at Tribeca. What's in motion for that right now? Our Tribeca premiere went excellently. And that was an insane two weeks where we met a ton of great people. And it was very validating. And we really saw the potential of our project. The next step for it, as most people who ever screen a film anywhere, they, everyone always goes, oh, you know, we're going to make a feature of it. This was designed from the ground up to be a proof of concept for a feature. We wanted to make something that crushed as 15 minutes and mm. made you wish it was longer that's how our you know entire creative process has gone towards this so we have a script ready to go hey you know uh it's steven spielberg if you're listening <laughs> uh, he doesn't uh fund projects <laughs> uh, but uh that's the goal we are still on the circuit with this stuff we are trying to you know we submitted to a gazillion festivals you know peek behind the curtain here and you, you know it's kind of hurry up and wait so we are, we already had our Tribeca thing that couldn't have gone any better. We are looking at, okay, what is the sort of, what low budget film can we actually make here? We think we have a solid shot with it. And part of that, I mean, honestly, like to not keep circling back to this, but look, when we go and do the feature version of this, we are going to be pulling out every single trick in the book to make it for whatever budget this kind person who's listening will give us. 
So that is going to be, you know, we have action sequences. We're going to have special effects. We're going to have all these things that are staples of 1980s blockbusters. And I am going to ensure that we do not have to compromise what is in the script to make that happen in the same way we did in the short. Right. And and when you talk about compromising, it, it again comes back to, you know, what's what tech or what element or what device best serves particular scene or particular sequence it's it's all about the convergence of creative thought creative idea and how is that best executed and you guys will figure that out exactly right on you mentioned being being call it directorially typecast with with tech given your predisposition to it do you ever think that you'll branch out and do something that, that isn't say quote unquote tech oriented. And yet it will be because as we've already established, like it's, it's also part of who you are as a filmmaker. So like, it, it seems like those two things are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. It's so funny. You say that there's a script I'm working on right now where it was, it's the germ of the idea was I am going to do something that has no effects. It is just going to be a couple of people talking and I will prove that I'm a great director under any circumstances. But then I kept being like, you know, what would be cool is this thing that's only possible digitally. Like that is literally, I don't care how much money you have is not possible in real life. It has to be digital. And then I was back to the square one of being like, well, you know, this serves the story. I should do this. I, as much as I try, I keep circling back to that. So I think in my head, at least at some point, I will just punch through where it stops mattering. It's on the way up. You definitely get sort of pigeonholed for some of these things. And then at some point it becomes your style, but on the way up, they just go, Oh, he can only do it's like if Wes Anderson on the way up, they're like, Oh, he can only kind of make these uh quirky, uh, symmetrical, colorful things. See, that's all he can do, is sort of how I feel with my stuff. But then later on, you go, Oh, that's his trademark. I'm hoping to get to the point where they start going, Oh, yeah, that's because he chooses to do that. It's right. not just he's stupid, you know. What helps motivate you and keep you on track when making those decisions? Is it that it's organically just again who who you are and what your vision is and and it's you just executing on your own interests and what you like and how you see the world and how you see certain situations or like what 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 helps you lean into you I like the way you said that sounded like a Connor Oberst lyric or something <laughs> uh, so poetic is what i'm saying I think there is a fallacy with creative stuff that there is, it's kind of the auteur fallacy, this idea that there's one guy doing this. There's a um, a phrase for this called the lone genius myth, that all these great things, uh, you know, boil down to just one guy going crazy with this. I don't believe that to be true. Actually, my company is called Lone Genius for the express purpose of pointing out that I do not believe in this shit. It was uh, sarcastic at the time. Then I got, people were like, oh, you mean that? And I was like, God damn it. Um, <laughs> but I think that all of this stuff is super collaborative. So I think what you do as a director is you come into something with the purpose. You have your own point of view, obviously, but what you're there to do is empower everyone who's actually an expert in what they do to do their best work. You, you are literally, you are directing, you are going this way, everyone, and everyone can focus their efforts into a single 
thing. So when it comes down to like what is right for a thing, it is honestly everyone's it's a conversation. A lot of people being very empathetic. This is the thing that AI cannot replace is on set. Someone being like, hey, like this doesn't sound truthful to me, like the way this is or this doesn't look I know this doesn't look a way that makes me feel something. And that is something that an AI will not be able to approximate necessarily. It's so contextual. So I do believe that with all these things, you know, you're kind of it's just kind of a bunch of people shooting from the hip. It's messy. You have these masterpieces throughout history. If you look at how Star Wars was made, honestly, it was George Lucas's wife just decided, hey, the third act is boring. I'm going to cut the entire thing up and do something crazy with it. That's a famous story. That was just one person being like, I'm going to have an opinion that changes the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that's how all these things are. It's all, you know, art is just you know feeling and where it gets tricky is the the merging of art and commerce i don't think that everyone somehow this all got polluted with a profit motive mm -hmm. and i get it because these things cost money as tech evolves hopefully we get to a place where the cost basis can be a little lower and it can allow people to get weirder right now we're in a stage where movies are 90% VFX. It's extremely expensive. And for that reason, people have tried to figure out the formula of what works. And, you know, that's, that's, you know, not to cast stones again, I apparently only shit on other people, but that's how we got <laughs> into this situation where a lot of industries are in crisis right now. Sure. In terms of what you have coming up, what's in the pipeline? I know you mentioned a couple things. Uh, obviously there's seeing the short uh somewhere in between through and that's as we know a a process what uh can you speak to that you're you're excited about that's that's coming up that's on the horizon um either with that project or anything else absolutely i would love to plug a few things if anyone has made it this far if i've not deterred them with my rambling i do think that when you're listening to someone talk about their short films i feel like that to most people is inherently off-putting um, I do think that maybe a few people made it this far because they may have seen my AI video online um, that did pretty well uh, that that, you know, the one where I kind of go crazy and I'm trying to work, you know, with AI on future projects. I'm starting a podcast about the AI and the dangers of AI, as I see it, called Pandora's Code that will be coming out soon. I don't have a date yet. I am also, you know, working on more short films. <laughs> I got some stuff coming. But uh, something that also might interest filmmakers, if there are any filmmakers listening, is this film that we made, my writing partner and I, we made somewhere in between time travel rom-com designed from the ground up to be a proof of concept for a feature. And also we designed it to be a silver bullet to get into at least some festivals. We were, that was our absolute goal from day one. We wanted to make something that felt different, that felt like a feature, even though it was short, and that it would get in somewhere. So I'm putting together a series of videos, essentially breaking down each step of our production process and the specific things that we did that you can do too, to elevate what you're making and uh, leverage the tools that you do have to make a more polished product to communicate your idea. Kyle, where, where can people find you if they want to see more of your work or, or learn more about what we just talked about, uh, the, the upcoming podcast, the shorts themselves, where can people find you? 
I am so easy to find online. I am my name uh, at Kyle Vorbach on literally everything. So find me everywhere that all that stuff's going up on YouTube very soon. You can find them on my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, hopefully this goes well enough where you don't have to find me and uh, you will just be aware of me. <laughs> there, there it is. Kyle, appreciate the time and uh, talk soon. Thanks so much, man. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.